This is a Radio Frimley Park podcast. Frimley Health NHS Foundation Trust covers patients from Berkshire, Hampshire, Surrey and South Buckinghamshire. Over its three main hospitals, Frimley Park in Frimley, Heatherwood in Ascot and Wexham Park near Slough, it handles nearly 900,000 outpatient appointments and treats over 240,000 people in their emergency departments each year. But it's not just the clinical staff, doctors, nurses, surgeons and consultants who work in these hospitals. There are plenty of support staff who often work behind the scenes to keep the hospital running. In this series, we'll be talking to some of those people about what they do and how they came to work inside the hospital. In this episode, we are going to take another look at patient experience and talk to some more of the non-clinical staff who are interacting directly with patients during their time in the hospital. We start with one of the many hospital volunteers, Tony, who works chatting with patients on the stroke unit during their stay at Frimley Park Hospital. I've come up to the stroke unit to come and meet him in one of the side rooms to have a chat during one of his shifts. Hi, I'm Tony Edwards and I work on the stroke unit And another job that I do is I'm in charge of the buggy that takes patients around the hospital, check out the buggy's working okay, and also to train new drivers as and when the time comes. I've been working in Frimley for eight years. My boss, the manager, he decided they were having a buggy at Frimley, so he asked me to run that first of all. And I did for quite a few years and trained up. We had 15 drivers working up from 8 o'clock in the morning to, to 5 o'clock at night, as per the request of matrons. And we trained up also people you know, just for cover there. And the buggy, the buggy was actually bought by the book club, the bookstore, sorry, the book club, bookstore. And the, um, that was proceeds from the sale of books. So no charge to the hospital as such. And um, during that time... My manager then requested, we had a difficult patient on the stroke unit, and he asked me if I would uh, go and see him. And once I started doing that, I found that there was great need on the stroke unit because of people's speech and also get them talking to improve their speech levels after a stroke and to get their voices back to normal. Plus also, I found it as one of the busiest wards in the hospital because it takes so much time for staff to look after a patient, whereas maybe just one nurse would look after on here, it could be two or three, just helping a patient out of bed or doing something like that. And uh, I've, I've been on strokes now for just on roughly three years. I absolutely love it. And um, it gives people a chance to, to talk to me. They just talk to me about their experiences and their life and you hear their life stories. And... To be honest, it's quite magical. It couldn't be more of a perfect job for me to do. What, what drew you to the role? How did you become a volunteer to do this? Frimley saved my life uh, 10 years ago. And it's just to give something back, I think, which is like many people, many of the volunteers are doing the same thing uh, because they've been involved with Frimley you know, in a personal role. And then they come back to, to give something back to the hospital. 
So before you were volunteering, what was your, your day job? My day job, I was in sales. I was in charge of sales. And uh, it's probably why I talk a lot. <laughs> but basically in sales, you don't. You listen to what the customer needs. So the same thing here. The main job is to get people and ask them, you know, what are your interests? And let them talk. And they just talk and talk about their interests and what they did. And sometimes they go right back to their young and all the way through their life history. Can you describe to me a moment that you think just really summarises the job or something that brought you real joy from, from yeah. volunteering? I was asked by one of the nurses and uh, one of the speech therapists to see a gentleman because he had asked to see me. And it was a long story, very sad story, extremely sad story and very touching. And I, it's the saddest story I've ever heard from anybody. And at the end of it, after about 45 minutes, he just touched my arm and said, thank you. That sums it up. It sounds like there's a, a real connection you develop with the patients that you're here. You're that, that voice that they potentially don't have. Do you find there's a lot of people who, who don't have somebody here with them that they can chat to? And that's something, that's the sort of void you can fill. It is a void I, uh, I think many people can fill. But also, one of the reasons people talk to volunteers is that you're not medical, you're not a relative, and they probably won't see you again. But on stroke, it's slightly different. And I mean, it's quite, it's very good for me because I can see a patient. I had one patient I saw over seven weeks, nearly eight weeks. And you've got to remember everything they're interested in, everything you've discussed. So it keeps my mind working as well. So I get a lot of benefit from that. So you have to, you have to check out what the interests are of people once you've got those, you'll see them again. So you have to go back and talk to them and make sure you're still with that person and remembering everything they've told you, which is important, actually, because it makes them feel better as you go up and say, oh, hello, John, such and such. And then you chat on about the subjects they were talking about. So I get advantage, you know, a lot of advantage from that, from keeping my mind working as well. Brilliant. You feel that whilst you're giving a lot of your time and helping others, there's a real benefit to you. Much, very much so. And I think this is something which is overlooked as well, possibly for a lot of volunteers. It gives satisfaction and it, it's making me remember things and, uh, keep, as I say, keeping my mind working very well. So you, you mentioned, obviously, that there's an element of patient transport within your role. Yes. How many patients are typically you moving around a day? Oh, it's, um, well, I don't do that anymore. I've got a team of drivers to do that. There was about 400 used uh, the other months, so quite a lot of patients, people that can't walk very well, and it gets them nearer to where they need to be. So either visitors or patients, so it's very good. And it's very similar to a golf buggy, and um, it's, they had to be strapped in, but they had to be able to get in onto the buggy themselves. We are now allowed, because of COVID you know, being lifted a little bit, we are now allowed to help them onto the buggy. But there are certain areas like um, clinical investigations where because it's wooden floor, there's about 100 yards to walk. We can only take them so far, so they have to be able to walk the 100 yards to get to where they need to be. So uh, it's, it is a bit restrictive, but that's, you know, we do get them to as far as we can everywhere in the hospital, so it's quite good. One of the buggy drivers I had a message come through in the evening um, just had an emergency, uh, someone going to the ward because they were expecting a baby. And 
they took them to the ward, got them there. Within five minutes, there was a call to reception, said, the baby's been born, will you thank the buggy driver? (laughs) So it was a very, very close call. And the driver was getting quite concerned whether they were going to have to call for help on the way. But uh, that's happened a few times with people where uh, taking them to uh, to the ward, they, they've got close to the time rather than, you know, allowances. Hospitals rely on volunteers like Tony to offer extra support and assistance in a variety of roles. If you'd like to volunteer for your hospital, you can find out more online. Just search for hospital volunteering. Next, I head over to the pre-op department on the first floor of the hospital to talk to Lorraine, who works as a receptionist. Good morning, pre-op department. Lorraine speaking. Can I help? The pre-op department is a smaller area of the hospital with an open reception area leading to smaller side rooms for seeing patients. I meet her in the department's office to find out more. Hi, my name is Lorraine West and I work at Frimley Park Hospital. I'm a receptionist in the pre-op department, so I uh, meet and greet the patients as they come in and uh, escort them onto the ward, etc. And um, also field phone calls. Uh, so it's my, my main job is, is, is patient contact and uh, working with my colleagues. So how long have you been working in this particular role? This particular role in, in the pre-op department for about three years. And before that, I worked in the day surgery. That's when I first came here. What I love most is the is the patient contact and interaction with the patients and also with the professional colleagues that surround me in my workplace. Could you um, describe what a typical day would be for you in this role? What is it that you come to do at the start and you're here till the end doing? I start early in the morning and I open up the, the ward and the pre-op department, uh, filling up... Um, water jugs etc and opening and unlocking the doors and um, start up ready for the patients to come in and that's that's my main morning role and then uh, meet and greet get the patients on the ward then we have the pre-op patients that come in at half an hour intervals also take people over to day surgery that have to go for the second part of their pre-op uh, and filled a lot of phone calls it's mainly a lot of phone calls that we filled in and then if I'm asked by the um, ward sister or Sister Catherine, who's in charge of my, my department, um, I go around the hospital doing anything they ask me to do, <laughs> generally. For those who might not be familiar with what pre-op is, could you describe what that sort of stage preparation for theatre, what, what do you do as part of pre-op? Well, what, they, what we do in pre-op is we, um, they come and see a nurse and uh, the patient and then they have a blood pressure taken and the blood's taken. And, and if it's a urology procedure, obviously the urine samples. And uh, we do the height measurement and we reassure the patients uh, so that they know exactly what they have to do prior to that, like um, whether they have to stop any medication or uh, not eat at certain times, so that the patient is then prepared for when they come in for the day of their procedure. What drew you to starting in this role what appealed to you I was actually I didn't actually come for this role um I actually fell into this role because of uh, I came for another job which was pre-epic which was a as a, a medical records runner but another department um I wouldn't say desperate but there was a role came up and um they offered that to me and I came blind really not knowing what it was 
Um, but the, I, um, so I really fell into it. But also, um, what drew me to Frimley Park itself is um, a pri- uh, after my other job, and I had I was going to have a year's break, but got a bit bored after three months. I decided I'd always thought I'd actually quite like to work at a Frimley Park Hospital. It's local to me, and I do like the interaction with with people. So I thought I'd give it a go, and I I wish that I'd done it sooner, and I would have followed into another different job role in within the hospital. Um, but obviously, my I've come to it later in life, and. Um, I haven't got that many years left, so as in as working years. So what what is your career background? How have you wound up where you are today? My career background, is, I used to work in a school. I used to do um, special needs uh, teaching, and I also used to do the teaching uh, of the class when the teachers weren't there. So a varied role within a very small school with only four classes. So it's more caring for people and, you know, being interested in youngsters as well as, you know, adult people. Can you describe to me a memorable moment, something that stands out from what you do every day that just sums up the reason you do your job? It can be something really small. It can be um, when, sometimes when you got, not just on face-to-face with people, but also like on the phone when someone's exasperated because they've gone round and round in the phone call system because they can't get through to somebody. And then you can, even just by going, walking to a different department or to a secretary or whatever, that you can help them get the answer that they need. Um, and they're so, you know, they can be really grateful. And just a, a thank you from anybody is just lifts your spirit. And also, um, when you can have a patient that is nervous, etc., and they go away from here and say, that wasn't quite as bad as I thought it was going to be, so the apprehension, and that they, um, that, that they feel better about themselves. But it's just that little bit of contact. And when we get people coming back for repeat things, you know, things, especially maybe possibly urology, that come in often. So you build a rapport up with people, so, and that's really nice, and people remember you, and that's what I like about it. Something that I ask everybody is often job titles don't really sum up what you do. <laughs> and so when somebody asks what you do, what is it that they think you do, and how do you tell them what you do? Right. Uh, this does come up in conversation when you're out and about or maybe at a dinner party or something like that. Um, the, the people think <laughs> that you sit at the, on, on the reception desk, just take people's names and actually answer the phone. They don't, they don't know about all the little things that are added to the job role of anybody's job, whether it be a nurse or doctor or any, but in, in my job in the reception. Um, well, what I tend to do is, if it's someone I personally know, know or I've, you know, just met in a, in a social setting, I might just sort of say to them that, you know, some of the things, the extra little bits that we do, so it's not all just sitting, answering the phone or greeting the patient or, or marking them up off on a sheet of paper. There's actually a lot more to it uh, emotionally and as well as physically. And usually they say, oh, I didn't realise that your job role or, you know, what you do is, involves that sort of thing as well.
As we talk about her job role, Lorraine mentions EPIC, which is the new electronic patient record system that has been introduced across Fimley Health. I ask her how that has changed what she does as part of her role compared to before. Yes, with, with EPIC, uh, in my job role, um, I can... You, when you go through on EPIC, you um, have to go in a certain pattern and it won't let you go beyond that. So EPIC is well, it was, focuses you a little bit more on, on the admission side of it. Um, and also, um, depending on your level, your scale, because I'm a level two, you can, you can only see certain things. So you've got less to concentrate on, although it can be a little bit hampering for when you're answering a phone call because you have to go and find someone that can look deeper into things. So that would be my only thing. But uh, Epic itself, uh, for me, is um, it's more straightforward so you can follow a, a set routine. Now it's sort of um, you, you are more uh, involved with the patients and uh, um, interact more with them. You have the time to do that now, whereas before you probably didn't have quite as much time. I guess that means things have perhaps changed in the short term from somebody used to go and gather all of the notes for every single patient that was due for today's sessions, bring them over here, you'd have them file them, go through them, update them, someone then takes it back. And now that's all digitised. Yes, it's all digitised. So it's really at the end of your fingertips. So that's the the good thing. So you're not wandering around all over the hospital trying to find some notes or taking them elsewhere or, you know, keeping, trying to keep the pieces of paper together because obviously some people's notes are huge and depending on what they haven't done, you used to have to go and get, could be a box full um, to follow that patient. So, yes, it's on the end of, as I say, on the end of your fingertips. It was great talking with Lorraine in a role that acts as a friendly face and welcome to patients who are preparing for a hospital stay. Our next stop in this episode is to an office space off-site from Frimley Park Hospital where the Macmillan Cancer Navigator team are located. It's a new open-plan office with multiple desks and a team of people with headsets taking calls from patients. I borrow their meeting room to find out more as we meet Samantha. Hello, my name is Samantha Nolan. I am a Macmillan Cancer Navigator and I am based at Frimley Hospital. I've been doing the role now for nearly a year. Um, uh, and I'm absolutely loving it. Um, it's a very, very busy role. It's a very, very, you never know what kind of telephone call you're going to get coming in. Um, uh, and it makes me feel brilliant because I feel I can help patients and make their journey a little bit better. Let's face it, uh, going through cancer is not, um, a very, um, good thing to have to go through, but what we do is we can help that patient by making that journey a little quicker, better, and give them more advice and support and help. Um, and that's what makes me feel good. So tell me about the role. What is a cancer navigator? We have two types of services that we provide um, uh, as a navigator. Um, one is the team based here at Frimley. And we are predominantly a um, ring telephone support service. There are nine of us working here. And we basically take all the calls from all the patients, all the specialities across the site, including 
all hospitals. So we cover Wexham, we cover Frimley, we cover Heatherwood, we cover Aldershot, and we also cover Farnham. So we take all the calls for all the speciality cancer sites for all of our nurses um, across all of those hospitals. There's a team of nine of us and we work here at Frimley. We basically are the first point of contact for patients who are going through the cancer journey. We answer all the calls. Um, Patients will call in to us with all kinds of things. It might be something like they're chasing their appointment dates. They are wondering about blood results. They are wondering um, whether or not they're going to be seen soon. They have a question that they want to talk to their nurses. And the object for our role is to try to take away the pressure from the nurses with regards to things that are not clinical. And what we want to try to do is to help that patient through their journey in a more positive, efficient way um, and help them as much as we can. There are other ways that we can help them and that's what I want to talk about later on with the other part of the service that we provide. Um, But yeah, we're a first point of contact for all patients um, and then we will decide what we're going to do and how we're going to triage that across to the nurses. What really attracted you to the role in the first place? So it's a personal journey. Um, I had a member of my family that had cancer um, and when I was um, with them, uh, when they were getting their diagnosis and certainly their their help and the uh, treatment, um, I was very aware of what it meant to that person to get someone on the end of a telephone or also a designated person that they feel that they can speak to and ask for when they're going through their treatment. Um, And I thought, do you know what? I could really give something back. You know, my family member has had an amazing experience and is in remission and things have gone really, really well. And it made me think that I want to do this. I want to be helpful. I want to help people having a good outcome a good service, a more positive experience whilst they're going through treatment. I guess, obviously, you've only been doing this role a year. What were you doing before? I did a year for Ashford and St Peter's, um, working as a um, cancer coordinator within the pathway, a 28-day pathway coordinator for the respiratory lung team, um, which was wonderful and um, really interesting. I learned a lot. And previous to that, I did uh, 15 years at the Royal United Hospital in Bath, where I'm from originally, Um, a completely different role. I was working as a volunteer services manager, where I looked after about 350 volunteers. But it was still helping people. It was still trying to make their journey, the patient experience, trying to make the patient experience a better experience. So it's all kind of linked in, really. Um, But yeah, that's what I was doing before. When you tell people what you do, what do they interpret as what you do versus the reality? Do you find that people, on hearing the job title, are like, oh, does that mean you do this? Do you get that kind of reaction when you tell people? I often get a reaction of they think possibly I might be more medical or clinical, that I would have quite a bit of knowledge with regards to a clinical um, clinical matter. And But I have to sort of explain to them that, you know, the role and, and what we actually do. And, and, and again, it's to, it's to help the patient as much as we can, all things except clinical 
yeah, sometimes they say, oh, does that mean you get to see, is, is it really, that must be so difficult, you must, it must be such a hard job, it must be emotionally challenging and you must feel, it must make you sad. Yes, there are days when you feel sad, there are days when you might get a difficult call and you might have had several difficult calls and you're dealing with patients and it is, it is emotionally upsetting but you learn in your training within the role how to be able to deal with these things um, and you get a lot of support from Macmillan um, with regards to your training and I have to say this role when I went into it the training was absolutely fantastic um, we were really supported well um, our team leader made sure that we got brilliant training we um, we supported consultants we were able to um, shadow consultants and go along and um, see what they were doing meet patients and and really experience what the patient was going through and understand the reactions of patients and so with that we were able then to get training on how you would feel as a patient, but also emotionally yourself when you're dealing with this constant difficult situations. And we we are really trained very, very well. The title suggests you're linked to Macmillan, but how does Macmillan link to Frimley Health Trust? Well, um, Macmillan obviously are a charity and um, we are affiliated with them. They offer um they are the ones that um set up the partnership with Frimley and the cancer services um and we work with them there are grants that um the hospital are able to access from Macmillan that are able to provide us navigators within the hospital a patient's just sadly been diagnosed with cancer their first stop is to talk to you as the navigator. Can you describe the workflow that you go through yes, with patients? Yes, absolutely. So a patient will call in, um, and you can imagine, first call into the service. What would have happened previously is they would have had their consultant's appointment to receive a diagnosis. And on that first appointment, they would have met their cancer nurse specialist along with the consultant who would have introduced himself as a Macmillan cancer nurse specialist, gave them, give them a name and also then give them a pack. And in that pack will be um, a card with our telephone number on it. And the they will be told for anything at all, call into the service. So the patient calls us in First thing we do is we um, introduce ourselves and we explain to them that all calls that come through to the service are recorded for continuity of care and also um, that there is a communication trail so that we can always see, um, as one of, if one of the team picks up the call, we can always see what the discussion was because we really want to make sure the patient gets that continuity of care. And they might ask us a question, oh, can I speak to the nurse? We will um, find out the reason for the call. Um, we try and sort of, we're a bit like um, a bit like detectives in a way. Some patients want to willingly give over information. Some patients, um, you know, are, are traumatised. Some patients want to know everything I possibly could know about everything. Um, and... We, we need to be careful, we need to be considerate, but we also need to get to the reason for the call. Once we discover the reason for the call, um, the call could be anything, as I say, from a clinical matter or a blood form, or they want to know where their next appointment is, um, we would help them. If it's a clinical concern, we then um, send uh, an email across to the nurse um, and we explain um, in that email 
what the reason for the patient's call was. We prioritise them in order of urgency um, and we would then be able to help them that way. It might be that they need some information and there's where I want to introduce the, um, the hub at Wexham Hospital. So as part of our service, we have what we call the hub, um, Macmillan Hub, which is the information centre. It's the Macmillan Information Centre and it's based at Wexham Hospital Foyer. And it's um, got uh, two colleagues of ours that work over there. And it's a brilliant um, way of signposting patients to other things that they may require. So a patient might call up and say that they need counselling, that they are struggling financially, that they need benefit support, that they would like a buddy service um, or they're losing their hair and they want information about wigs. Um, They're struggling. They're struggling providing um, financial stability for their family. They need to know where the food bank is or they're worried about their housing. They may be homeless. Anything and everything. Because cancer, you know, once you're diagnosed, you know, mental health also goes hand in hand with the diagnosis as well. So that's where we introduce our information centre And the Information Centre is a brilliant way of being able to offer those kind of support services for patients. We would send an email across to the service and ask them to get in touch with the patient. We can send out booklets as well, um, but quite often I feel that it's better to have a voice at the end of the telephone. It's more personable and it uh, it makes things seem a little better when you've got that personal touch. Also in Wexham, we can tell them about the drop in uh, centre which is based at Wexham Hospital and it's open between nine and four on a Friday. It's a brilliant way of being able to go in. Um, it's it's a centre offered for patients, families, carers, friends and professionals to access information, guidance, support and signposting and possibly onward referrals that may help them whilst they're going through their cancer journey. Sometimes patients just want to chat um, and whilst we can offer that service and um, we're happy to listen, a listening ear is always good. Obviously we've got calls waiting in the background so we have to kind of listen, evaluate and then pass on to our colleagues at the information centre as well so they can actually offer um, the support that that patient might need. You mentioned a buddy system, is that an opportunity to pair a patient with somebody who can offer that chat role that ability yes. to say oh I've been through this before let yes. me talk you through it absolutely and that's offered through as I say the information centre at Wexham you touched briefly on it um, I think we were explaining the job role itself and how you explain it to other people that the, the kind of calls you're taking the, the life-changing news that people have just received will be difficult for them but you hearing those stories again and again must be a tough role for you personally mm. how do you deal with that how does the the um, role the support staff help you through that um our team leader and our managers are brilliant they are always making us aware of services that we can access to help us get through the difficult times um our Team leader encourages time out. So um, if we've got a difficult call and we've struggled, um, I had one earlier today. Um, and it, for me, it was quite emotionally difficult. The patient was was very upset. Um, and we shake off. We, we have an analogy called the zebra analogy. So when a, a zebra is um, stressed, um, they shake 
and um, we kind of we kind of say to each other, we're just going to go and have a shake off, and we walk outside, we get some fresh air, we take some deep breaths, we shake off, and that really really helps. And we learnt that at um, one of the Macmillan um, professional conferences that we went to um, as a new Macmillan um, employee, and um, we were able to go to a uh, event in London where um, they talked a lot. We went to seminars about well-being and how as a um, a professional sometimes we would suffer with um, feeling overwhelmed um, and uh, need some help with dealing with that and you're trained on how to get through it. Um, and as I say, we have very understanding managers as well who can um, refer us to training to help us get through it. The phone service that you mentioned, though, obviously you're part of the staff to run. How long is that offered? Is that offered throughout the week? Oh, yes, yes. We're open from 8.30 to 4.30, Monday to Friday. At the weekend, we have a answer phone service, um, but it's always um, monitored. And when we come back into work after the weekend, um, we go through the answer phone service and we call always, always call the patient back. We know how it feels when you don't get through to a person uh, and you have to leave a voicemail message, um, how that can feel. And it's really, really important, even if we don't have the answer straight away, to call the patient back and say, we got your message, we hear you, we're here, we're listening, we're looking into it, we'll come back to you as soon as we've got an answer for you. Um, obviously, this role you're covering patients who are interacting with Frimley Health. Is there a national number that can be used if patients want to reach out? There is. There's a Macmillan support line, um, and the number is 0808-808-0000. So, obviously, you're taking telephone calls. Since I've been here, I haven't had the phone ring. Does that mean you have headsets that you answer the calls? How do, how do you take the calls? Okay, we take the calls. Yeah, we all have headsets um, and the calls come through on the main lines and we just answer them. Um, we also, um, we take all the calls for, as I say, all the specialities across the hospitals, the hospitals that I mentioned previously as well. Um, so we have to constantly be sure that we're checking um, certain lines because sometimes patients come through from Wexham and they may leave voicemails. Um, our team leader's brilliant, so um, we're all rotated to do certain things. Some of us monitor the phones, some of us monitor emails because patients do email into the generic email address um, and we're rotated throughout the day on different areas so that we make sure patients get responded to straight away. Having someone like Samantha available at the end of a phone to talk when you're dealing with a cancer diagnosis is a fantastic resource for what is a difficult moment in your life. A reminder of the national number should you wish to reach out to someone to talk to. It's 0808 808 0000. Our final chat in this episode is with Sarah Taylor, who is Head of Sustainability. I meet her to talk about what sustainability means for a hospital and how do you work to be more sustainable. My name is Sarah Taylor. I am the Head of Sustainability um, for the Trust, which includes Heatherwood, Frimley and Wexham but also for the ICS so I encompass all the doctor's practices, the ambulance service and anybody else that's in, dealt with within health within the ICS. For our, the benefit of our listeners what is ICS? ICS is the integrated care system. So the integrated care system are a partnership of organisations that come together and plan and 
the joined up healthcare services in your area. They can include all of our doctors, all of the ambulance services that's within our patch, which there are two of, it includes mental health facilities. Um, it's for improving health of children and young people, helping and support people stay well and independent and ensuring that people with um, who have long-term health conditions, including mental health, are cared for. Um, and it also includes collective resources so that we can act as quickly as possible to cover anything that's health that's within our area, including health inequalities. Wow, that sounds like a huge area to be covering. <laughs> um, it is, but with sustainability, um, my role is more of a functioner and a facilitator and I help other people facilitate bringing sustainability into their roles such as um, nursing, I look at the products that they can use and make sure that they achieve the net zero goals that we're trying to achieve in the NHS. Um, I look at bringing in pool cars to be able to do the community at home and the frailty team so they can access their patients at home but in a sustainable way. I look at waste and how we can reduce the waste that's going out and what we do have, how we can recycle that. There's lots of parts to it, but I'm only as good as the people that are helping me to achieve what I'm doing. So what attracted you to this role? How did you wind up as head of sustainability? I come from a construction background. Um, I did want to be a paramedic in the army. Unfortunately, um, I am of an age where women weren't allowed on the front line. So I went and did multiple things. I went down to the careers service. They said, what would you like to do? And I said, I don't know. Gave them some bits of information that I liked. And they said to go and become a quantity surveyor. Those of you who are old enough will remember the Monty Python sketch about Arnold the Yard Rock that is quantity surveyor, which I always get reminded about. Um, and I did that for 20 years. I worked on the Athletes' Village over in Stratford at 2012. Um, and I also um, most recently worked on the Houses of Parliament for the refurbishment of the Parliament buildings themselves. Each one of those, especially Stratford, I got involved in sustainability with a guy called Andrew Kinsey, who now works for Mace, and he sort of was my mentor in it. I got really interested in it, continued my construction career, but I've always had sustainability in my mind. I then got offered a job working for Frimley Health as the transformation manager, which was commissioning and decommissioning Heatherwood Hospital over in Ascot. A large portion of that was to then recycle and reuse um, the equipment and everything else that we had over there. So sustainability came back into it in a big way. Richard Hilson at that time was the head of sustainability. He was leaving, so I became the interim head of sustainability um, and then was awarded the job um, when I went for interview. What is the aim of the head of sustainability? My little goal is to um, achieve net zero for the whole trust in the ICS by 2035. Um, I say little goal, which is a bit of a joke, because I have to try and decarbonise the whole estate, which means reducing the amount of electricity, gas, fossil fuels that we use, reduce the amount of single-use plastics that we use, from theatres to catering. Um, I have to look at more better ways of doing things, that we use less resources, and that those resources are coming from either a recycled source 
or that we can recycle it and put it back into a circular economy. What do you think, from your perspective, is, is a real achievement that you're proud of, of what you've done since you've been in that role? I haven't been in the role full-time for a very long period. So a lot of the things that I picked up was leaving off where Richard had left off, which included bringing in six nitrous oxide busting machines for maternity and they take the nitrous in and they heat it up and then they break it down to oxygen and nitrogen that's in the air anyway so it makes a better environment for our midwives. We are pushing that agenda within the national health team as well by conducting a survey within our trust to see what equipment is best and what environmental factors we need to include for anybody that uses nitrous and uses Entonox. The other things we've done is we've ordered some new pool cars so there's more pool cars um, to go around the trust so that people can move around effectively but saving carbon at the same time. We are working quite hard with the British Plastics Federation and other people to reduce plastics within the trust There are so many things that we are in the pipeline of doing that's going to mean a better environment and a better workplace for the people that we work with. I I could probably speak for hours on it and bore a lot of people. So one of the most obvious things you've kind of touched on there is single-use plastic. There's a real need in healthcare to balance sort of patient safety in the fact that you don't want to have any contamination of anything versus the sort of consumable throwaway nature of, you know, maximising safety. How is that achieved in a healthcare setting such that you can recycle these items and ensure safety? So there's different types of plastics with different polymers. Um, Depending on the type of polymer and the use of that plastic that's been done and taken in into consideration infection control some of those plastics can be recycled straight away and there is a market for them because all plastics now except food packaging has to have 30% content of recycled plastic in it there are other ones that are contaminated where we can't recycle straight away we have to put them through a process and that can be autoclaving there's new technology coming onto the workplace that Bart's in London have been using where they microwave the plastics to form a big plastic block that can then be recycled but because we've heated it up to such a temperature in the microwave the contaminants are no longer there Um, we are looking at how we can bring more reuse plastics in. So there's a product called Daisy Grip that will be a non-single-use tourniquet. We're also working with Nova, who have brought out a pen recycling scheme for their GS1 and their insulin pens. And our diabetics are pushing this out through the Trust for us and also the ICS with Tim and Yusuf um, to get people to take their insulin pens, take the needle off the top, put the pens into a recycle um, box that's provided free by Nova. And once there's 12 pens in there, you just simply put that back into the Royal Mail. It goes off to Nova and they recycle it and make it into lights. And Nova is talking to lots of other people in the diabetic front, such as Libra on the um, testing machines um, to see how they can help improve their recyclingness of their plastics as well. 
Another commonly used item within healthcare is metal. Sometimes we, we have metal items that are single use, where we get them out under sort of sterile packaging, they're used. How is the trust ensuring that they get recycled or are able to have some sustainability rather than throwing away? So a lot of the metal that we do use in, around the trust isn't actually thrown away. We have a decontamination service, especially with the um, equipment and the parts from theatres, where this, um, you get a set of equipment, um, you use it into theatre, and then it's sent off to a decontamination centre. They treat it at a high temperature, and then they can re- put it back into sets and return it back to the hospital in a sterile environment. We are looking at with the product safety group for theatres on being able to reuse equipment in the theatre that's metal and then at end of life we can then send that back to the company and they recycle it themselves um, to make new parts and send it back to us. We're very much looking for as much circular economy where we use it, they take the products back they recycle it and then it can be put back into general use again, um, either by remilling or um, melting down and reforming back into drill parts and things. There is no concern of being that being contaminated with anybody that's used it previously. Um, we've been doing it for a large number of years now. It's just that we're getting more and more capabilities in that area to be able to do it. So in a typical operating theatre, most of the patients never see what's in there. Does that mean that you have multiple different recycling bins so that the sharps, the metal go in one bin and the plastics go in another bin? And is that how things are sorted? Or is there a more complicated chain to, to, spread, uh, to separate the, the different types? So in theatres, they do have separate bins for certain criteria, but most of the bin stuff that comes out of theatre is contaminated, so it will um, come out into a yellow wheelie bin, and that is then sent off-site and dealt with off-site for us. It's picked by machinery and dealt with and put into different selectors. It's like when you put anything into any of our bins around the trust, it goes off to, um, via a waste management company who has a plow, uh, a plant over in Slough and they have the technology to pick items off of the conveyor belt as it goes down and put it into the right polymer for recycling, um, paper to put it into um, plastics for bottles, um, put metal into a different bin and then it's sorted at source. We don't have the capacity on site currently to allow that to be done on site. To touch on another area you mentioned, hospitals are huge energy consumers. There's equipment that requires a huge amount of electricity to run it. There's the heating of an entire hospital and it's where patients aren't well. They need to be kept warm. You can't sort of crank the heating down to save energy. How are you working to try and maximise efficiency and decarbonise? So there's lots of ways that we can do that. So we have the um, trigen CHPs that we can bring in um, that use different sources of heat to go in them, which include solar, it can include ground source heat pumps, air source heat pumps. CHP stands for Combined Heat and Power Units. These generate electricity and heat at the same time. We're 
looking at other ways that we can reduce our energy by turning putting all the lighting onto um, PIRs and putting LED lights around the whole trusses, which is something that we're looking at moment for the next financial year to start. Um, we're looking at being able to look at where areas are highly used or not used during the day by a technology that monitors movement in the room. Therefore, it will turn the electricity off. We can turn heating off at weekends for places in like in outpatients and in the offices where they're not used and at night as well there's lots of technology that is coming out now that is allowing us to either retrofit or new fit to actually bring our energy prices down but all the energy that the trust buys is from a renewable source what do you feel personally is the area that can reap the most benefit I think the people who are going to benefit more by what we are doing now is our staff and patients what uh, and the general population that lives around our hospital. We do a lot of um, policies that not only link to those that are working here, but also our surrounding colleagues that live in the houses. We're doing a lot of stuff with the NHS on air pollution and how we can reduce that how we can better use our waste, how we can use better use the green areas around our hospitals. We're looking at, with the national social prescribing team, how we can actually bring social prescribing into the hospital and use that to actually enable our patients not only to get treatment through tablets and through medication, but also social interactions in the hospital with going and doing a bit of gardening around the trust or speaking to somebody about a society or a group they can join once they're out of um, the hospital. We find that a lot of people that do come into the hospital have lost that social interaction that they used to have probably prior to COVID. Social prescribing allows us to link those people back into Um, places where they can go and go for a walk with the Ramblers Association or they can go and join a rewilding group. What we do in sustainability isn't just about the physical, it's also about the mental state of of the people that we work with and our patients and it's trying to ensure that whatever we do produces a better environment and a better life for those that are being born in our hospital today. Hospital buildings are constantly changing. Rooms are repurposed for perhaps a different clinic type. Um, There may be more of a need for a particular type of clinic and therefore there's probably a lot of repurposing of rooms. How do you ensure that you don't waste items every time you do a refurbishment? Is there a method that you can ensure that that resources and uh, facilities are distributed somewhere else in the hospital? So like we did at Heatherwood, and that was a repurposing of a or a decommissioning of a whole hospital. So we went round and we listed everything that was in every room, um, from MRIs, systems and benches, to chairs, to tables, to whiteboards. And we listed it all onto a system called Warpit that we use. And all staff can register on this. Um, and it allows departments to put up items that they no longer need for another department to go and then take that item. Um, We 
not only save money in the trust by having to, by repurposing and reusing, but we're also saving carbon on having that um, equipment um, delivered on its manufacture. We um, regularly have chairs, tables, um, anything you can imagine can go on there. It's great to hear that there's that internal sort of reuse, recycle mentality within the hospital itself, not just thinking of the wider commitment. We also at Heatherwood, we don't look just internally. We were getting um, the estates department, which had been there for a large number of years, had a large number of big pieces of equipment that we could no longer use because they were outdated for our technologies. But we knew of a uh, men's shed over in Ascot that was just setting up and they were grateful to come in, have a look around the equipment and take what they could use. They then go and help uh, men and women in the area to facilitate making things for charities, um, having somewhere to go, sit, have a drink, have a chat, talk to people. But by us supplying equipment that we can't no longer use, it broadened their horizons and allowed them to offer a lot more than what they knew to be able to. A question that I've asked everybody, when you tell people what you do, your role title, what is it they think you do versus what you actually do? Whenever I mention that I'm head of sustainability, there is a blank look on everybody's face and they, seem to, and they just ask, what is that? And it's, it's hard to explain sometimes all the things I am doing because even I forget all the things I'm doing and um, I'm getting involved in. Sustainability is creating a better sustainable lifestyle and working environment for those that work within the trust and outside of the trust and my job is to facilitate people's ideas no matter how wacky or how outside of the box they may be some of those ideas are the best ideas that people could come out with. Um, and my door's always open for people to come and have a chat. Patients, um, staff, those in the general public can always email me or contact me um, and we can talk about the ideas they have. Um, we're going to be setting up a sustainability group um, which will meet either in Frimley or in Wexham or Heatherwood once a month and we'll be able to discuss with those that it's in attendance what we can help them to achieve a better sustainable working place for them. You mentioned the target of net zero by 2035. How far on that journey do you think you are? I would say there has been huge improvements already around the trust by the bringing in the pool cars, looking at putting LED lighting in. Um, the pathology team have reduced some of the plastics they're using. We've already started looking at medical gases and removing desflurane. We're already on that, on that path, but it's a very winding path and it's a very long path. It's going to be very demanding to achieve what we need to achieve and sometimes the technology that we need to be having right now, right here, isn't actually in the marketplace or it's not even been thought about. So we're preempting and going and challenging companies to design things for us that they haven't even thought about. Money is hard to come by. Decarbonising and becoming net zero is not a cheap 
remit of a of a job so i'm always having to be challenged on savings versus sustainability but we're hoping like with the waste if we can bring in systems that help us to microwave the contaminants out of it it will reduce the cost of the waste because it's now not classed as contaminated and it can get recycled there are sometimes you have to expend money to save money in the long run it's a bit like getting solar panels for your house there is an upfront cost but at some point you start benefiting from that just as we're about to finish our interview, I asked Sarah about how staff and visitors can contact her with ideas or questions on sustainability. If they want to get in touch with me, it's sarah.taylor223 at nhs.net. Just in case you change your role, is there a generic like sustainability address? I, I will not be changing my role. I am here at least till 2040. Um, a long-term commitment for you it is but then I took the role on knowing that's the commitment that I was giving I chose to work for the NHS because I want to make the difference in people's lives and having worked in here and seen what I need to achieve I'm not taking the role lightly but I'm, I'm here to stay As you heard, Sarah is very passionate about working on sustainability for the Trust and is here for the long term That brings us to the end of this episode, which has only covered a small section of the hundreds of staff working within the hospital to deliver a better patient experience. Join me next time when we'll be speaking to more staff and volunteers as they work inside the hospital.